Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode 126. And in this episode, we will focus on the concept called asset liability matching as it relates to deaccumulation strategies, which we talked about in the last episode. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or a specific question, contact me via Twitter or via my Facebook page. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. The first aim is to be educated, and that's to be about education around personal finance and financial literacy. And that leads to the second aim, which is to be empowered with that knowledge so that when you go and speak to your credentialed financial advisor or accountant, you're able to understand and speak at a level that you can understand as well. And that leads to the third aim, which is to be entertained from these podcast episodes. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, or am I a financial planner? Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make after listening to one of my episodes back to your appropriate credentialed advisors. In other words, don't listen to some random guy ranting on the internet about money, and don't take your financial advice from a podcast. But if you're stuck on what to do in terms of broad principles and concepts, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody can implement. Step one is you've got to pay yourself first. You are the most important person in your life, and that means, in my view, you've got to take at least 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. Step two is you've got to invest that money ideally into something that you understand or want to understand in. For me, I invest in the index funds and stock market because I understand it. Step three is wherever possible, you must reinvest dividends. Reinvesting dividends means the power of compounding is phenomenal. And step four, naturally try and do it for the long period. Not five, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking at least 20, 30, if not 40 plus years and ideally do it forever. And step five, my favourite, is wherever possible, try and automate all of these steps together. Because with automation, you're more likely to follow the plan and you're less likely to deviate. If you follow these five simple steps in your personal finance, you're more likely to end up with more money than ever before than you probably ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't buy you happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Before I go on to the main topic of asset liability matching, I had a question from Dylan who asks, Hi Dev, can you explain how carry forward contributions works? And I see Dylan is basically asking about the super contribution where any unused concessional contributions can be carried forward. So thanks, Dylan, for that question. And I think it's a really important concept for anyone who's starting out in a junior position in their company or career or anyone really and probably going to get a pay rise moving forward over the next sort of five or 10 years time. 
And I think it's a fantastic policy and it can really benefit people. So here's how it works. The scheme is only live from financial year 2019-2020, which means the oldest unused super contributions will be 2018-2019 financial year. So we are in the first cycle of the five-year scheme. There are two main rules that you must fulfill. The first one is you've got to have a total super balance at June 30th the previous year of less than half a million dollars. And the second rule is you've made concessional contributions which have exceeded the cap. And just a reminder, the cap has basically increased to $27,500 as of the 1st of July 2021. Now, remember also that from the 1st of July 2021, if you're in an employer-employee relationship, uh, super is now 10% guaranteed. And I've checked my pay slips and everything seems to be in order. Uh, payroll software generally should have been updated. And the third thing is, in addition to the concessional contributions cap being increased to 27500 non-concessional contributions cap should also be increased to $110,000 per financial year. So if you don't want to invest outside of super, at least make sure you use your super account as much as you possibly can and maximize it because it is the most tax advantaged account you're going to get. Now is a good time to review your super, your investments and your fees within your super. Let's use an example to see how unused carry forward rules may apply. Amy has an income of about $100,000. Let's assume a 10% super guarantee because that's what it is. And let's assume her super total is around $200,000 that she's got at the moment. And that's invested in various asset classes. This means her super guarantee for her income is going to be $10,000. That is 10% of 100K. In 2018-2019, she was able to contribute $25,000 into her super. She only contributed $10,000 due to her super guarantee. This means she has unused concessional contributions cap of about $15,000. Remember, back then in 2018-2019, you were able to contribute up to 25k, but she's only contributed 10,000k because that is what her employer provided her in terms of 10% super guarantee. Now, I've used 10% because I know that it was 9.5% back in 2018, but I've used 10% because it just makes calculations a lot easier. And it makes people that are listening on a podcast format a lot easier to follow the calculations. So basically, she hasn't used the $15,000 left over in her super concessional contributions cap. Now, in 2019 and 2020, she only contributed $10,000 again. That's through the Employer Superannuation Guarantee Scheme. And this means she has now unused concessional super contribution of another $15,000 in addition to the previous year's $15,000 of unused concessional super. So the total then becomes $30,000. Now, unfortunately, Amy doesn't have any extra money to contribute concessionally. But in year 2020-2021, financial year, she contributes another $10,000 to a super, again, because of an employer giving 10% of $100,000 of annual income, super guarantee. And this means she has unused concessional contributions now of another $15,000 in addition to the $30,000 she's already accumulated. So now the unused total concessional contributions becomes $45,000. 
In other words, she's now accumulated three years' worth of unused super contribution. Now, COVID has meant her super has done really well. And her super has increased by 30% in that COVID time, which is what the stock market has increased by. And let's assume that she's invested very wisely, aggressively in the stock market within her super. So now her super is worth $260,000. Now, luckily, Amy has some extra money to contribute to super this year. She's received a bonus of about $30,000 due to excellent work. Therefore, she can throw all of that money into her unused super contributions, which remember she had $45,000 unused and capitalised on lower tax rates of 15%. Because remember, if she earns an extra $30,000, she might be paying 30% tax on that because that's going to be roughly what a tax bracket is. But now rather than, you know, cashing that out, she's putting it into a super and basically she only pays 15% tax on that uh, and the rest of the tax is basically a deduction. Now, despite contributing that extra $30,000 for that financial year, she still has another $15,000 left over of unused super contributions because we're still within the first five-year cycle. This is then carried forward to the next year. So what happens if Amy's super balance is over half a mil? Well, Amy is unable to use any of her unused concessional contributions cap, which was carried forward, because your superannuation has to be less than half a million dollars in value. And I think the government has this sort of rule because, you know, they want to make sure they get people who really need super and bump it up as much as they possibly can. But I don't think they want you know, multimillionaires that have millions of dollars in their super to take advantage of this scheme because they feel that they've got enough money already. Now, what happens if Amy's super balance is initially over half a mil, but then the following year drops to below half a million dollars due to a market crash? Now, if that happens, Amy is now able to use her unused carry-forward contributions plus whatever she's accumulated in the last five-year window. So, just because your super balance is over half a mil one year doesn't mean that you're off this scheme entirely moving forward. So that's really important. I think a lot of people misinterpret that point. Um, it doesn't negate the ability for Amy to use her unused concessional contributions at latter years if and when the market crashes. And we know that market crashes can occur. But it's got to happen within that five-year cycle. Now, where can you find how much unused super contributions you may have in terms of concessional contributions. Um, I believe ATO online accounts should have that information, but um, you can probably also get that information from your accountant. Um, so Dylan, I hope this clarifies your question. So whatever you do, maximise your super. It is the best way to save for retirement hands down from a taxation point of view. It is tax advantaged and essentially... Um, you know, if you're on a 40% tax bracket, um, you know, you're automatically getting a 25% return on any money that you put on your super, um, provided that you max it out at twenty-five dollars or $27,500 concessionary that's available to you. I know there's a lot of thought processes out there that say that super is, you know, not great and, you know, it's, it's sort of, you're sort of locking away your potential for the next 30, 40 years. You know, this is not ideal for those people that are wanting to retire fire, you know, which is a financial independence retire early movement. 
but maybe max out your super and also invest outside of super and reach fire and use any assets outside of super until you reach retirement age and then start enjoying your super. I mean, you know, there's a myriad of options. I mean, there's there's no real downside to having too much money, to be honest. I mean, I mean, they say money causes a bit of burden, but, but you know, it, it just takes a lot of pressure off in terms of your retirement strategy. So hopefully that sort of explains the carry forward contribution rule when it comes to concessional contributions. Now to the main topic, what is asset liability matching? Now, this is the next part of the decumulation strategy, which we discussed in concepts in the previous episode. Now, before we discuss this concept, let's briefly revisit what deaccumulation is. Basically, it's the process in which you use your assets to live off during your retirement. And some people tend to live off dividends, which we all know is not guaranteed. I mean, look what happened in 2020 when dividends were cut, when the market crashed. Sometime, though, some people will sell some of their assets and use the proceeds to live off that. And that's the other way of deaccumulating. And in fact, in your super, for example, there are mandatory deductions that you must make in your super portfolio during retirement asset for the government. And this is because super is designed to live off in retirement and not simply give it to your children or family when you die. So it's not a, you know, I don't think the government wants you to save heaps of money in your super and just give it away. They want you to withdraw it as much as you possibly can. And I think there's mandatory withdrawal limits uh, as you retire every year. So the older you get, the more you need to live off your super, the more you need to draw down. And I guess the reason the government do that is, you know, they want you to use your own money to retire on rather than rely on the pension system, which is effectively taxpayers' money. So that's why the government has every incentive to give you tax deductions and tax-advantaged accounts within your super because they don't want you to rely on the pension. And if they didn't have that, then everyone would rely on the pension. People will do all sorts of things to try and, you know, maintain their super for future generations and just live on the government money, which is basically taxpayers' money. Now, in Australia, though, we have a problem. The problem is we have a largely ageing population and the boomer generation is now retiring now or very soon. And this means the net outflows from superannuation may be greater than net inflows into the super system. Uh, So in other words, money going out of the superannuation system as boomers retire because they need to draw down the money will likely exceed money going into the super system, i.e. younger people maxing out their super for their own retirement. Compound this with fertility rates declining over the years also contributes to this problem over the long term because we have less taxpayers moving on. And in fact, since 2004, except for 2007, for some weird reason, every year there's been steady decline in money going into super. That is, net contributions to super was $60 billion in 2008, but in 2018, just 10 years later, it was only $40 billion. Now, in the previous episode, we talked about dollar cost averaging, how it helps people accumulate assets in a declining market. But when it comes to retirement, it's an absolute killer as you will use more of your assets if your market declines. So dollar cost averaging works against you during retirement. Now, that's also compounded by the other concept that I've already talked about called sequence of returns risk. So how do you manage all this? And one way to manage decumulation strategies is called asset liability matching. So what are the factors to consider when it comes to this concept? Number one, home ownership. Do you own a house or not? 
Number two is marital status. Number three is super balance. Number four is risk tolerance. And number five is investment strategy. Now, this has to happen at an individual level, but also has to happen at an institutional level. In fact, institutions use the concept of asset liability matching to ensure they maintain their cash flows to meet their liabilities. It happens all the time. But also ensuring that the assets grow in capital and produce a relevant cash flow. So a simple example of that is, have you ever wondered how big banks manage the ins and outs of their business? How do they manage capital inflow and capital outflow to ensure they have enough money to cover all of their liabilities? They make calculated risks to ensure they always meet their liabilities. This is something individuals need to do as well during their retirement. So they can meet all of their liabilities, don't run out of money, but at the same time have enough money left over to live on and hopefully grow moving forward. So let's use an example to highlight a common scenario. Amy is 60 years old and is planning for retirement. She has contributed 20% of her after-tax income into investments. She's maximised her super. And luckily, during her working years, she had a fairly good income, sometimes saved a lot more. She's about to retire in the next five years. And this is Amy's overall portfolio. She's got a fully paid-off home worth about a million dollars. She's got a super balance of $1.7 million, earning a yield of around 3% per annum. She's got investments outside of super balance, ETFs and index funds totaling about 2.5 mil, earning yields of around 3% per annum. And she's got an investment property worth about a million dollars, no debt, earning a rental yield of around 2%. So Amy is in a pretty sweet spot and has got a net worth of around $6.2 million at age 60. She's still going to work for another five years before retirement, uh, but maybe she wants to do some part-time retirement. So she wants to use the ALM process, the Asset Liability Management process. There's a few things that we need to know. In five years' time, she'll have no earned income because she's transitioning to retirement. Her liabilities may amount to around $100,000 per year. This includes expenses, holidays, gifts, etc., So Amy needs to take into account her assets and match it to her expected liabilities in her retirement. It's as simple as that. How's she going to do it? What are her options? Let's go through them. Option one, she could sell all of her assets except her home and put it into government bonds yielding around 1% to 2% per annum. Would this work? Well, it would work. I mean, excluding her home, um, she's going to sell $5.2 million worth of assets Paying relevant taxes will probably end up with around $4 million in cash to invest in government bonds. Now, this would yield about 2% per annum, and that's around $80,000 in pre-tax income. Will this be good enough? Well, not really, because remember, Amy wants to meet her liabilities, which is expected to be $100,000, and that's after tax. Selling everything and putting it into government bonds is safe, but her returns is only going to be half of what she needs. This is just taking into account the income cash flow situation and not selling any of her capital. Now, the advantage of this approach, though, is that she can turn her bonds into cash fairly easily, which means if her liabilities increases, she can match it by selling down her assets as required. Asset liability matching. The second option. What's the second option? Now, Amy may choose to keep her home. 
Keep a super in a balanced fund, earning around 7% return, which is tax-free, remember? Then sell a stock portfolio, which is mainly in index funds, realise a capital gains tax and pay the taxes, take the profits of her stock investing and put it into term deposits, earning about 3% per annum. She gets 2% per annum in her investment property, which she'd like to keep. So this gives her around $119,000 from super, plus around $20,000 from her rent, plus around $45,000 from her term deposits. So it gives her around $184,000 per annum. Now, the thing is, this is before tax, but it may meet her goal of spending around $100,000 in her retirement every year because that's what Amy decided she needs. So that looks like a pretty good option. Option three is leave everything the same and take the risk-adjusted returns of her super stock portfolio, which is mainly in index funds, and keep her investment property so she doesn't sell anything. This just means she takes the risk of a market downturn, right, which would severely impact her ability to match her liabilities in retirement. And this is especially true if the market crashes one year before retirement and takes 10 years to recover, as did happen in the Australian stock market recently. So, of course, we can never predict the market, which means the process is very challenging. So the basic premise of ALM method is you're looking at your expected expenses in retirement or whatever future date you want to put, then coming up with a strategy to decumulate in a sensible way. Let's use another example, which is a lot more, you know, people might be facing right now. I mean, the average listener to this podcast is in their 30s. So, um, you know, retirement may be a long way away. We do have several hundred uh, pre-retirees listening to this in their 50s and early 60s. But most of the listeners are, you know, millennials, you know, trying to make ends meet and, 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 you know, trying to basically learn about investing, right? And I'm a millennial, so I understand the plight. So let's use another example that a lot of our millennial generation uh, might be facing right now. Amy and David have two children. They're aged five and two. And they're planning to send them to private school for their schooling years. Therefore, Amy and David need to match their income assets with the upcoming liabilities of private school fees. For the first three years of the first child's schooling, they only have one school fees to consider. Then the second child would enter school. Now they need to find a way to pay for both of their school fees. And depending on where they live, this can amount to fifty dollars to $75,000 per year together. So they may choose to decumulate some of their assets to help pay for the school fees or simply get a higher paying job or work more to earn some more extra income. The thing is, Amy and David are in a different situation now when compared to what they would be if they were closer to retirement. This is because they have an income at present, but during retirement or closer to retirement, they don't have the option of working anymore, making more money or perhaps even working full time. So by introducing a relatively hard deadline using an asset liability matching strategy, the emphasis then becomes capital preservation. That is, you're willing to forego some returns to ensure the assets are more safer in your retirement to ensure you meet your liabilities during your retirement. This is a very different approach to accumulation phase, which is what Amy and David are in right now, where you have a lot of relatively open-ended investment mandates. Take as much risk as possible in your 20s and 30s based on a risk tolerance and to ensure the highest returns possible for your investment. So who should you talk to when it comes to using deaccumulation strategies such as ALM? 
Now, I would highly recommend you talk to an expert financial advisor when it comes to these things. It's a complex topic, which I've tried to simplify as much as possible. You can see that the ALM strategy and ALM method basically is different depending on the stage of life that you're in. Now, you could do it all yourself, but with any retirement strategy, you only get one attempt. So the last thing you want to do is try and do something yourself and screw it up big time. Um, now, when is an ALM strategy useful? Um, you know, I've thought about multiple uh, scenarios. Retirement, obviously, the biggest use. Um, the second one is funding education for kids. The third one is planning a purchase of a home or car. Uh, number four is planning a balloon payment for a home or car. Hopefully, you don't have a balloon payment for your car. Uh, number five is lawsuits, particularly deadlines coming up. Hopefully, you don't get involved in any lawsuits, especially against you. Uh, number six is wedding expenses. I mean, average wedding expense in Australia is around thirty to $40,000, which sounds a bit insane. Number seven is starting a business. And number eight, the dreaded ATL tax bill, any major liabilities like that. So in addition to personal finance examples of asset liability matching, and what other industries use it? Well, the banking industry uses it all the time. When you deposit money into the bank, they offer you an interest rate, right? So they then lend that money out as a long-term loan and charge interest rates on that as well. There is always a difference between the interest rate they pay you versus the interest rate they charge you. That's why your home loan rates are always higher than your savings term deposit rates that they offer you, right? This is called net interest margin. And this is usually positive, otherwise they lose money. So they need to make money somehow. So they take your money, lend it to other people for higher interest rates, pay you a little bit of reward for that. And the difference between your interest rate and the interest rate that they charge their customers is what they make. And that's the net interest margin. So they need to manage their assets to ensure they meet their obligations to pay you interest on the money you deposit with them. This depends on whether they get their loans repaid on time by consumers who borrow money, etc., As you can see, it's a complex set of situations. And they tend to manage this using an ALM method. And when banks can't meet their liabilities, guess what happens? They collapse. Case in point, Lehman Brothers. So they use very complex algorithms and they, you know, basically people that work for banks that literally only focus on risk. Now, the other industry that tends to use this approach is the insurance industry. Life insurance is a good example. When you pay your premiums for life insurance, you expect to get a payout to your nominated beneficiary if you die. How does a life insurance company manage their yearly liabilities of payouts versus their yearly incomings and premiums and earnings from their assets? They use an ALM strategy to manage this. Again, there's a lot of actuarial tables. Very smart people work out the risk and work out the liabilities and they have specific algorithms, and ALM is one of the strategies that they may use to make sure that they on top of the liabilities so they don't actually go bankrupt. Large corporations, uh, large companies may use you know, currency fluctuations and hedge their bets in order to ensure their incomings are more than their outgoings. This is classic ALM strategy. Again, if they can't meet their liabilities, they will go bankrupt because creditors haunt them for money owed. And the fundamental concept here is to understand when it comes to ALM, you need to understand risk. Now, I've gone into full in-depth review on financial risk in episode 75, if you're interested to learn more about this concept of risk. Now, in summary, I read a Challenger report, and Challenger is a company, and I think they provide insurance and all sorts of things, which pretty much sums up decumulation. And this is from their report, and I'm going to read it out to you. 
The investment goal of an accumulation portfolio is straightforward. Return maximisation. Investing in decumulation environments where investing in retirement is different. Decumulation investing for the purpose of funding retirement income is more complex than that is required for accumulating assets. The need to provide a regular stream of payments impacts the investment choices that can be made for the assets supporting that income stream. Unlike the accumulation phase, when regular contributions support the ongoing purchase of assets, a deaccumulating fund needs to have a clear strategy around which assets it needs to sell to fund the benefit payments. That's about it for this episode. Hopefully it wasn't too heavy. Now we're up to about 225 or a little bit more five-star ratings and 45 written reviews on Apple Podcasts. And I would love to get it up to 300 ratings and 70 written reviews. So if you want my podcast, if you find it very useful, please leave a review and a rating because it really helps bump up the ratings. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. Or leave a five-star review and rating on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. And in that theme, here is a review I found on Apple Podcasts from K Sweet. Awesome podcast. This is one of the most informative financial podcasts I listen to. Deb has a way of explaining the concepts in an interesting and detailed way without being condescending. It's like he's talking to me on my own journey of learning. Just brilliant. Thanks, Dev. I've learned so much. Thank you very much for the feedback, K-Sweet. Most of my teaching style I learned by myself. Um, look, I've been a med school lecturer and tutor since the beginning of my training career, and I've refined it over the years. And I think teaching is a great way to reinforce concepts for yourself. I always listen to my own podcasts as well, at least once to ensure the concepts are ingrained as much as possible. Now, of course, the more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to my podcast, so please keep them coming. Remember to like the Dev Raga Facebook page, follow me on Twitter. Uh, shout out to questions and comments or topic suggestions. Share this channel with family and friends. Always pay yourself first. Take that 20% of after-tax income and put it aside and learn about, you know, especially if in your accumulating phase of your life, learn about how you're going to decumulate. What is your strategy? Uh, and whether you're already starting to think about using ALM methods to be able to fund specific points in your life, like education for your children or buying a car or wedding, etc. And until next time, this is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 126, and please make sure you stay safe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.